0: G'day folks, I'm Billy Pinnell. Thanks for your listening company on this special edition of The Music Show. Well, special for me anyways, because my friend Santo Chilaro has agreed to share some of his favourite music tracks with us. Now, while Santo's making himself comfortable, I'd like to start the show by making you aware of a special album, Back in Blue, a complete re-recording of ACDC's Back in Black performed by a number of leading Australian blues artists. The album was created to promote Beyond Blue, an independent non-profit organisation that offers avenues of help to people suffering issues associated with depression, anxiety and related mental disorders. The album was conceived and produced by Darren Griffiths, a Queensland-based musician whose own life has been touched by depression. Here's a song you're sure to know featuring Lloyd Spiegel singing and playing acoustic guitar with John Delimore on electric guitar and singer Cass Eager.
1: Heavy decibels are playing on my guitar We got vibrations coming up from the floor We're just listening to the rock That's giving too much noise Are you deaf? You want to hear some more We're just talking about the future Forget about the past It'll always be with us It's never gonna die It's never gonna die Rock and roll Ain't noise pollution Rock and roll your bedroom door you look so good lying in your bed well i asked you if you wanted any rhythm and love if you want to rock and roll instead well just talk about the future forget about the past and oh
0: His iconic Back in Black album We heard the first part of Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution performed by Lloyd Spiegel and Friends Other contributors to the album include Jeff Atchison, Gail Page, 8 Ball Aitken Jane Michelle and Chase the Sun And all profits from sales of the Back in Blue album Will be donated to Beyond Blue Well folks, it's my pleasure to welcome to the music show My friend Santo Cholero. We'll talk yet yeah. Okay, it's going So it's time for Hello Bill day, Bill, how are you going? Good mate, look thanks for coming in, I've already uh, mentioned that um, you're going to be our guest on the show um, today and I'm really keen to hear uh, the stories behind some of the songs you brought in to share with us
2: It's a real pleasure Bill, you, uh, what I thought I'd do is, uh, when, when you said please come in and uh, play some music I thought, well geez, where do I start? I, 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 I'm eclectic in my music taste, I like uh, good old fashioned uh, Italian music that my parents uh, brought me up on I like Latin music, uh, blues, jazz, um, I, lo- I love pop music and um, I think maybe country music is uh, maybe not my long suit, my strong suit. Um, and um, so I thought, here's, here's, here's a little... Uh, here's some parameters I can set for myself. What about my favourite solos from my favourite songs? That's um, a great idea because sometimes
0: solos can give... Song, an individual feel, can yeah. whether it's on any so- instrument whatsoever.
2: Songs are, are so structured that they, they live in someone's head, and then by the time they execute it, it's it's become an exercise in discipline. These are the lyrics in my head. These are the, the these are the tunes in my head. But then there's always that space in between there where you're playing your solo, which is slightly less structured. It, it's time for you to to, to play with the actual um, concept and the essence of uh, of the work that you have. So. I love hearing solo, and uh, I, I'm presenting them to you as solos, which is kind of weird because a solo works because you wait two thirds of the song for that solo, so it's a, it's a bit weird to hear a solo. It's like a bit, bit like going to a strip show and the strippers just come out with their clothes off. It just, <laughs> but uh, but that being the case, I, I will start with um, I may as well start with John Lee Hooker. And I know you like John Lee Hooker. He's uh, he's one of the great blues men. Well, he had, like B.B.
0: King, he, his longevity was quite extraordinary, mm. wasn't it? And, and not so much like B.B. King, but John Lee Hooker had a period where his music wasn't as popular as, as it should have been. And it was really bands that came along in the late 60s that loved his music so much. Well, Candy were a good example, who recorded two albums with him, mm. Hooker and Heat, that probably became his biggest selling albums for quite some time mm. at that time.
2: That was before he set up the real estate agency, the um, Did Hooker. Did do that? Yeah, Hooker, yeah. LJ. LJ Hooker, yeah. Go
0: on. And then, um, of course, later it, he, he repaid a lot of those musicians by... Recording an album called The Healer when his mm. career was in a much better shape, and there were many, many great acts that had been inspired by his music before they got going. I'd like to, to play a song play. from is The Healer soon. Right. Yeah, right. I've
2: got a Santana collaboration with him. But um, one of the great one of the things I reckon about John Lee Hooker is that I really think he he had he, he's he plays a great part in the shape of modern rock and roll music. I think all, all the great jazz and blues men have have played some part, but I reckon he played a very special part. And um, and also, his longevity, as you said, he he lived to... Who knows how long these guys live for? They, they can never seem to find their birth certificates, but he probably lived to about 90, and he played till he was 90.
0: And apparently he got married to a young girl of 21 oh, and bought a house near a school. Is that right? <laughs> no. <laughs> it didn't no, he no,
2: didn't do that. But he could have. Um, here's a song he, that he recorded when he was, okay, I guess, almost 50, so it's amazing how, how how amazingly you know, young he sounded Right throughout his career. So this was in about 58. There was a quite a famous song called I Love Your Honey, one of his great hits. This is the B, B side to it called Have You This is the B side to it called You've Taken My Woman. Now, it's a very simple song. In fact, it's a very simple, it's a very simple soul. If we could just play it and then have a bit of a right. chat about it. Oh, a couple of things about it.
1: You know you're taking my woman. Just by somebody else. Oh yeah.
2: How good was that, Bill? It's it's he. It's so minimal. It's it's hardly a solo, is it really? No, it, it's 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 just it's
0: just him emphasizing something yeah. about the song instrumentally, uh, as opposed to vocally but, or, or, or or lyrically. But that that helps to make the song what it is, and that's what the blues fellas did. And that, that they weren't sure making sure that every time they hit a note, it had mm-hmm. to sound pristine because no. that's not what blues music is.
2: It it's it, it almost sounded messy, didn't it? It almost like it was almost like he didn't care about musical tempo. I'll, I'll actually... It sounded slightly out of beat.
0: But that's the feel of the song. That's, that, the that's way. why the blues people were just so important, because they played from the heart. They, they didn't try and make it sound good for everybody else. If I they played like it the I've, way they felt it. If everybody else liked it, then that's good.
2: I just reckon that it, he, he kind of like... He, he warped, he bended, he teased. It, it, the whole concept, you're listening to it, you're going, that's not... He's not doing it to the beat. But that's he's, the magic he's, he's missed that... That note is not quite right, <laughs> and he's just... Played with it, and it's so, it's such a beautiful juxtaposition to the to the um, to the rhythmic sound of the dun da dun dun, dun dun. That's so rhythmic, and yet within it, he just exactly. plays with, it. and uh, and then which brings us to the what you were talking about, the healer, which he wrote in, uh, which was a which was a collaboration he made in 1989 with quite a few other people: Bonnie Wright Charlie Musselwhite, I think, uh, Los Lobos, and George Thorogood, and. um I guess it was, I, I, I'm presuming sure this will pay tribute to the influence that he's had. Exactly.
0: Make. I think he, he had a decent manager about this time. And, and for the first time in a long time, uh, he would get rid of all the chips record company. He would for some different labels. We couldn't get them. But when he was in order, uh, his records were selling. This one on a Grammy. And this was when he was belatedly uh, successful uh, um, professionally as well. And the people in the article I read about The Healer there were so many people offered their services to him to come and play on the album. He couldn't fit them all on, but I think everyone that did record um, that were part of the rock and roll fraternity just would have loved the experience of playing with, um, with John Lee Hook.
2: Well, this is the great Carlos Santana playing The Healer with him. stuff, and what we forget is how good a singer he was. How good were the vocals there? He's a great singer. And that was when he was he was 80. He, he would was, have been about 80. He would have been I about 80, f- 80, I though. guess, back then, and
0: and that makes these recordings so great to look back on, and like Carlos Santana had a blues band before yeah. the Latin rock that he pioneered, became so hugely popular, just before Woodstock, 1969, he had a blues band, and he was playing the Fillmores yep, with some yep. um, the other blues bands that were playing there, and he would have been so, mm. I'm, I'm sure, honoured to have played on those sessions like all the other young players were who were on the heel with him.
2: Well, um, uh, Black Magic Woman was, of course, written by Peter Green, yeah, with, who we might hear from later on, who was yeah. uh, who was with uh, Fleetwood Mac. That's uh, right. Playing blues music with Fleetwood Mac. Well, that was a, a clever arrangement of that song by Carlos Santana because the second part
0: of the song was a piece by mm. Gabor Zabo, who was a um, was it Polish jazz guitar player. Oh, yeah. If he's maybe Hungarian. Hungarian perhaps. he might have been, who was popular in America at the time, but mm. not, not not a big star. So to, to combine a piece by Peter Green and a piece by um, Gabor Mzabo um, was really interesting too.
2: The great thing about The Healer then too is that it just shows that um, uh, Hooker's influence wasn't just on rock and roll and blues, but that was, a, that was a Latin beat, and I'm sure that a lot of Latin musicians were inspired by John, by John Lee Hooker as well, so it just wasn't in the one genre.
0: It's true, and, and when they were first earning money professionally, they had to play all sorts of music. Yeah. They had to sing on street corners. Yeah.
2: And well, they were, that's what a blues man was. That's right, just he was. a street singer. There, yeah, that's right. Speaking of uh, artists that have recorded well into their uh, old age bill, what about Ruben Gonzalez? Well, he was part of the Bonavista fo- Social Club, wasn't you're he? You're quite right. He was the pianist, so he, um, well, he lived. Uh, he lived to a ripe old age of I think 85, and he was actually still performing, uh, still performing. Well, he was performing in 2001. We saw him at the concert. I remember seeing him at the concert hall with the Bonavista Social Club here in Melbourne, and that was two years before he died at the age of 84. So, so Roy Cooney gave those
0: blokes yeah. the most unexpected present you could ever give mm-hmm. anybody. In most of the at that time, in the seventies and eighties, they were. And they became worldwide stars, didn't they? In they a were three st- years after he put that album together. They
2: were stars in Havana in the forties and fifties, yeah. well known, but, not, in, to the in, but world. not to the Western world. No. Yeah, and it was Ray who rolled up and said, "I reckon there's something in this." So, just have a listen to um, to Ruben Gonzalez playing. This is it's 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 Latin music, but it feels like pop to me. So that was Ruben Gonzalez at the age of 78 with a, song Yote, with a song called Yote and Senor Lola from an album called Indestructible in 1997, Bill. How good was that? Just, no, no, it was effortless, wasn't it? It was, and
0: so, so They they would have been popular within... Yes. A very small audience, or accessible to a very small audience yes. in, in Havana.
2: He was a classical player as well, so yeah. he would play for, uh, for, for for the various ballets and things like that as well. So he was a classically trained. So,
0: Ryder Kuda opened up the world he for did. people like that.
2: He did. And the beautiful part about Ruben is he played with a smile on his face. He just enjoyed the music. Uh, which brings us to the next song. It, there is a there is a connection with, I think, this is my favourite band ever. It's a, it's a Senegalese band called or- Orchestra Baobab. And um, these guys came to prominence in the similar way that the Buena Vista Social Club did. In fact, it was Nick Gold, who was... Uh, he was the guy behind World Circuit Records, where he put world music, really, on the map um, around the 19... I guess the, the 80s, I guess, the, the late 80s and, and, and the early 90s. And um, he knew of a legendary band um, called Orchestra Baobab that had been around for a long time in Senegal. And... Um, uh, he re-released an album called Pirates' Choice, which was wonderful, wonderful album. Uh, it was re- originally released in 1982. It sold more cassettes than vinyl, and more vinyl than CDs. Let's have a listen to uh, one of my favourite um, solos from a ba- from a song called Cebu Odea, which you, which you could be forgiven for thinking was uh, was Santana playing here. Uh, so this is uh, Cebu Odea. So that was recorded in '81 off an album called Pirates' Choice, and um, they've been around for a long time, Bill. Orchestra Baobab in, in different guises. But in 2002, they released Specialist in All Styles, and that was produced by Senegalese superstar Youssou N'Dour, who's a wonderful He's singer. On his own he ride, he isn't performed he? in that as well. And guess who sang on on that particular album? Ibrahim Ferrer, who was from the uh, Afro-Cuban All Stars. Oh, um, so, so there's the connection. So yeah. what, it's interesting because this music was. The, the music from Senegal was the music that was um, taken across to the Caribbean by the original slaves, and then reworked in Cuba, turned into Cuban music, and then re-imported back into Western Africa. And that's why it's uh, that's why that to me this is m- this music is missing link music. This is the link between um, African folk music and Cuban music. You can actually see that this is the. This was this was what was transported across, then reworked and, and brought back. So, wh- why was it out of the public consciousness for so long? Well, it wasn't, Bill, because these guys in their in their country. I guess I, I know what you're saying. Why was why was it not uh, heard about in the West? Um, yeah. Well, over in um, over in Senegal, they were singing in traditional Wolof language, which is 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 traditional uh, West African. And um, I think it wasn't until the the, uh, the emergence of bands like King Sunny Ade um, uh, from Nigeria, who um, again I might play one of his songs later on. Until they made it big in the American scene, did people realise? Hang on, this is this is significant music, and it's music that actually um, has had a big impact on modern music as well that people started paying attention to this world music.
0: So would Carlos Santana maybe have heard that sort of music because the guitar solo in there was very Santana-esque, wasn't it, in the last piece you played. So Would he he have experienced listening to that sort of music somewhere in in California or or in Mexico where he lived before
2: that? I don't know that much about Santana but I presume he's a pretty eclectic kind of guy. I'd be very surprised if he didn't. Hmm. He, he seems to be a scholar of, of 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 music and guitar music, but you know those, those wonderful those complex rhythms that you only hear uh, from, you know, Cuban bands, in Palmieri, and those kind of th- bands that uh, you know really gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Bill, a guy that you put me onto a long time ago was Ronnie Earl, and uh, I'm a big fan of Ronnie Earl and the broadcasters. And maybe we should, I mean, look, he's he's been through. Quite a bit, Ronnie Earle. He's, uh, he's a man who's, uh, who's gone through some pretty tough times. He's, he's come through the other side, well, I guess he's come out triumphant on the other side.
0: He's very popular in a band that he formed called Room Full of Blues. Uh-huh. But then when he left the band to do his own material, he, he's had various health problems. Mm-hmm. But he still records. He did a wonderful album called Father's Day last year. Oh, really? It includes an instrumental called Monin, that that's a, yeah, yeah, a, an old blues tune that Ray Charles Ray did. Ray Charles yeah. And an album that we shared um, uh, an affection for called uh, Genius Plus Soul Equals Jazz. And Moanin, played by Ronnie Earl, is just magnificent. And he's a, just such a soulful player. So it's great that you've included him in your selections today. Well,
2: this is a song called Ain't Nobody's Business, which is a standard. I'm not sure whether it's a standard, Bill. I, I know that... It sounds like it, doesn't it sounds like does. a Hance
0: Wallace song or something does, like that. It does, yeah.
2: It's from, I think it's got a slightly strange album called Living in the Light in 2009. Well, let's play it first and then talk a little bit about it. As you can tell that was recorded live. But it's quite amazing. He was born in Queens in New York, so he wasn't born in the Deep South or anything, yet you listen to that music and you listen. It, it almost feels like King Solomon Burke should be preaching underneath it or something. It's, there's, there's it's a, so
0: much like that, isn't it? it? It's just the feel of those plays. It's soulful. It's like Roy Buchanan had it, Stevie mm. Ray Vaughan had it, and probably many, many others. He's just two of them. I can think of, yeah.
2: um, of immediately. To me, what, what it's characterised by is that he's obviously had a, a, a troubled life. He's fought against depression and uh, a, addiction, and there seems to be a... a it's it's a, like a celebration of his victory over the addiction, you know what I mean? There's a, there's, a triumph from, there's a triumph about There's an exuberance. there's a, It's almost like a gratitude. Well,
0: that was joyous but, listening to yeah. that song, wasn't it? And happily, you felt the same way.
2: Another guy who's uh, had his problems, Bill, and I know you and I both big fans of him. He's a, a guy called Peter Green who, I mean, what can you say about him? He, he, he was the founder of Fleetwood Mac, wasn't he really? N- yes, he, yeah, he yes, was. He, was
0: he, he, he replaced Eric Clapton in, yeah. um, in John Mayle's Bluespray. Blues, oh, well,
2: yeah, that's where he started. And he yeah. used to
0: go and watch the band playing. Clapton didn't turn up one night. Yeah. He said to John Mayle, oh, I, I can play. <laughs> and John said, alright, up you go. And he did, and he played great. Then Eric came back, mm. and so Peter just had to wait in his turn until Eric left John Mayer to form the Yardbirds. And then Peter got to play for a couple mm. of years mm-hmm. with John Mayer, where he met John McVie and Mick Fleetwood, mm-hmm. and wanted to form his own band. And it was called Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac for a very short time. He didn't he like
2: it, didn't like the fact that his name was no, in the No, he didn't. Band.
0: So he used the surnames of John McVie and, and Mick Fleetwood, and the band exists to this day in a different format than it was when they were a mm-hmm. blues band.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But um, he's one of the most soulful... Um, most loved guitar players of all time. And like, we talked about Carlos Santana mm. before, who covered one
2: of his songs. Here's a qu- quote from B.B. King. He has This is a quote. He has the sweetest tone I ever heard. He was the only one who gave me the cold sweat. Well,
0: that's really interesting because B.B. King wouldn't make too many yeah. statements like that, and if he did, he'd, he'd mean them. And um, Peter Green's had a tragic life because of... Um, of an event that mm-hmm. happened yeah. towards the end of his... or He was, a, he was going to leave Fleetwood Mac anyhow, and uh, towards the end of his last uh, tour with them, um, he apparently was um, with a group of people who took a lot of LSD. and
2: was, This was in Germany,
0: wasn't in it? it Germany, was a party in Germany, in Munich, Germany, yeah. yeah.
2: As was a one-off thing. It was a one-off party. Well, for some people, they yeah.
0: could take it till the cows came home and nothing had happened, but it, it really affected him, and it, mm-hmm. he was brain damaged after that. But he he survives. He survived. Unlike Sid Barrett, you know, who who isn't here to talk about what happened to him anymore, and he he still records um, uh, to this day. But um, not ever the same as he he was was before. As we said,
2: he wrote "Black Magic Woman." He was he's regarded um, 38th greatest guitarist of all time in the Rolling Stones list of uh, great guitarists. Um, He was the 1996 Green was voted third best guitarist of all time in Mojo magazine. And, uh, and as you said, he survived. He, um, he has an uncredited appearance on Fleetwood Mac's double album Tusk. Oh, I did He's actually know that. on that. Yeah, I never knew, yeah, yeah. knew that. Let's have, a, that let's, have, let's have a quick listen to it. Actually, this is, this is his. I guess this is when he made his solo comeback, Bill. This was in 1979 off an album called In the Skies, uh, a song called Slabo Day, which was co written by the great Snowy White, who we might talk about just a little after we hear this magnificent solo. we'll never know whether that was uh, Peter Green or Snowy White there because uh, Snowy, again, one of the great guitarists, played with Pink Floyd and Thin Lizzy.
0: He did. I, I met him once. and did He you? was the most delightful mm. bloke. And I asked him about that album. And oh, I, did you? I said, tell me about when you recorded mm. On In The Skies with, with Peter Green. And he said, look, he's my idol. He, mm-hmm. he said, of all the guitar players I ever heard, when I was in rock bands in London, he was the one that meant the most to me. And he said, when, when I heard that he was on Hard Times... Um, after being institutionalised for a while with his problems. You know, he I tried a, to it was find a grave
2: him. digger before, before, he, uh, before he, he... he? Yeah, he was actually digging graves as a job right. just before this album. He, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, Snowy White found where, where Peter lived and went, went to his home and, and met him, and they talked together. And about that time, Peter Green's brother was trying to put a record mm-hmm. label together to record his brother, mm-hmm. Peter. And uh, um, and Peter asked Snowy if he would come and support him on, on the album. And so they did. It was was one of... He did about three or four albums after that, but they weren't as strong as, as In the Skies. And, and and Snowy just spoke so lovingly about Peter yeah. Green, yeah, and how much Peter Green's music meant to him. So I think Peter would have thoroughly enjoyed those sessions, even if he wasn't at his absolute best. I think playing with, with Snowy White, who really loved him and loved his music, would have been a good thing for
2: him. Well, they would have been very healthy because most, uh, most of these songs are credited... Uh, they're co-written with uh, Peter Green and Snow oh, that's White. that's very generous so, so I'm of I'm sure Peter was, Green as well to yeah. do that. Speaking of uh, Peters, we haven't had any Australian content so far, so I might bring up uh, Peter Garrett, a man who uh, formerly fronted a band called Midnight Oil. <laughs> he did. And also was on the... Uh, he was also a minister in the Labor government for, for many years. Now, Peter's one of the great men. I know you know him very well. I don't what? know well, but we've met many times, a and I've got a tremendous admiration for the, him as a person. He's the best guy. He's a real family man. Loves his daughters, loves his wife very, very much. And um, I'll, I'll never forget the time uh, that he and uh, Midnight Oil came live on the panel, show we used to make on Channel 10. This was in July in 2000. Well, let's just play. This is, a, this is an acoustic version of Short Memory. Short
3: memory must have a Short memory Got a short memory must have a Short memory
2: was short memory from a, an album called more music Live from the panel and i never forget um, peter oh well, I he wasn't playing guitar clearly he was um, the, the other guys in the band were
0: probably martin rotz would have been playing the, the, the lead part on there on acoustic guitar with rob hurst on the drums
2: and i'll never forget peter garrett said after the show he said that's as nervous as i've ever been for any performance ever because they were playing unplugged in front of a live audience it was live it was going out live and he said, there's no safety net. We just have to true, know, have to make it? sure that, yeah. that everything is perfect because there's no going back. And it struck me as strange as a guy who's been doing gigs for the, his entire life, so, still being the perfectionist, not wanting to make a single mistake in any of his performances. Well, it's going to be strange
0: for him this year because he's touring is he? uh, to support his first solo album. The album's called A Version of Now. Oh, right, I've heard of it. And man. he's going out on the road with Martin Rotzi, his okay. mate from Midnight all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Luscombe, one of the, our great drummers. Uh, Mark Wilson, who played in Jet on bass, and two singers, Heather Shannon from the Jezebels and Jamie Hutchings from Blue Bottle Kiss. And on the album, which on, mm-hmm. all those will appear, uh, as do three of Peter's daughters, Emily May and Grace, all mm-hmm. providing backing vocals on Peter Green's... Not Peter Green's. <laughs> Peter Garrett's first solo album called uh, A Version of Now, which is full of great songs. Yeah, yeah. Then next year, um, his band are reforming but not All to, mm-hmm. um, to do their first tour in... What, 20 years or
2: something? God, there's a lot of reforming going on. Well,
0: there is, and, and now, now he's he's not um, a politician anymore. He yeah. can, uh, he can
2: take that. a deep
0: breath and relax. And there are a couple of songs on a version of there that, that relate um, lyrically to the time he spent right um, as, as a minister, and one particular bloke it's a bit of a going over, I would think, in the... Lyrics of a couple of songs—a bloke that actually hung him out to dry—but you can find that out for yourself, <laughs> folks. A version of "Now" by Peter Garrett.
2: We've been playing a lot of guitar solos. I've noticed, Bill. Shall we go back and play? Maybe shall we? Shall we go back a few years, 1928, to a different kind of solo? 1928, St James Infirmary. It was built. wonderful. That was absolutely amazing. So slow, so slow. Like? Just, it's, it's, how does he warp that time? Well, because
0: he... like the blues players, he had a feel for, huh? for his instrument. And he, he was one of the first to to solo on, um, yeah. on on the trumpet and change jazz music forever. But isn't it interesting? He wasn't the first to do that. I mean, he, he's recognised as being the most powerful jazz figure of all time. Now, he was born in 1901, Lewis, and died in 1971. But on the year of of his birth, there was a bloke in New Orleans called Buddy Bolden, who was born in 1877, who was soloing. And he was playing like no other jazz musician ever played before. And Buddy Bolden was credited with creating a looser, more improvised version of ragtime, adding blues to it. And he was the first to have had brass instruments in a band that played the blues, and so Buddy Bolden something... also played loud and, and, right. and played in such an exciting way. But would Armstrong have seen it? Well, I who knows? Because, sadly, um, Buddy Bolden was institutionalised in in 1907. He, he suffered from schizophrenia, right. and I guess there wasn't um, uh, enough knowledge of that terrible illness at the no. time for him to be treated, so he spent... Um, the last 30 years of his uh, of his life in, in an institution, died in 1954 never having played again after the age of, of 31 incredible. to uh, to an audience before and so anybody that that has um, read biographies on Louis Armstrong, they should examine as to whether Louis ever, ever mm. mentioned Buddy Bolden mm. and, and mm. there's no recorded music of Buddy Bouldins that I've ever heard about. There's only one photo of him. He's about as mysterious as Robert Johnson is. But there's lots of him on the internet, lots of information on the internet about him. He was uh, an extraordinary musician who because of unfortunate circumstances, people never got to hear. Well, not enough people got to hear.
2: Just going back to Louis Armstrong, I think people forget the influence that he actually had on modern music as well. People just assume he was one of the jazz greats. But uh, one of the great tributes was in uh, 1971, um, when, when he died, I think he died in July '71, same week that, uh, that um, Jim Morrison died. And Rolling Stone magazine, the front cover was not Jim Morrison, it was uh, Louis Armstrong, dead at the age of 84. So, so I think that, that puts it into perspective. You know, we, we look back on it, maybe Jim Morrison has po- possibly sort of become a bigger figure than what he would have been ha- had it not been for the myth that was built around him, Whereas at the time in, in contemporary views, that Louis Armstrong w- was by far the more the, the, the more significant. Well, even in, even, in, even in mod, even in pop music. And I, I think Jim would have
0: recognised that too, yes. b- because Jim Morrison, in fact, all the Doors had enormous respect well, Bill, for that sort of music. that and particular song, I, I, the Doors have had it. Yeah, they, they, they have done a, yeah, a version of Saint yeah, James Infirmary. They have. Yeah, they love that sort of music, and of course, Lewis also changed everything for um, for jazz singers yeah. because. He didn't sing in a crooner style. He didn't sound like Crosby or Sonata or or anybody like that. He sounded like Louis Armstrong.
2: But he he still was a remarkable voice. His his version of um, Summertime with Ella Fitzgerald is one of the greats.
0: And because he sang... Non-word vocals too, mm. which they call scat singing, mm. that also changed the rules and that made it possible for people like Tom Waits and whoever else that hasn't got the, uh, yeah. in inverted commas, acceptable voice <laughs> in popular music to, to have a career because you don't have to sing notes only dogs can hear yeah. to, to yeah, be yeah. a great singer. Yeah.
2: Well, let's go back to, to the, I guess, the music that uh, ancestrally would have... Would have uh, um, Impacted on Louis Armstrong, and that is uh, mu- music from from Western Africa. I want to go back to. I spoke about King Sunny Ade and his African beats. Uh, just have a listen to a solo um, from a song called "The Message." This is from a 1982 album, or the seminal album called Juju Music. <laughs> a Spaghetti Western at the end there as well. well it had a bit so like many
0: effects to... in there, didn't
2: it? Some of the descriptions are quite amazing. Again, that was uh, that was a song called The Message uh, from Juju Music in 1982. Actually, strangely, the irony about that is I, I got the same feeling when I heard Grandmaster Flash singing... Another song called The Message. It's a very powerful it, 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 song. It, wasn't f- it felt like uh, I was listening to something new for the first time. New York Times described the album as the year's freshest dance music album, and then it was credited in 1990 1990s having launched the world beat movement in the United States. That wow. was the start. Before then, there was no real recognition of world music. But so,
0: would they have toured there as well to oh, get yeah, that sort of yeah, profile? yeah. yeah.
2: Toured, it, toured, uh, toured a lot in France and in, um, and in Europe. But, uh, but King Sunny uh, was, was big in the States, big yeah. in LA. I think the album was, was a bit of... It, it cut through. Um, about ten years before that, this is one of the most enigmatic people, I reckon, in rock and roll and possibly one of the most liked, a man called Jonathan Richmond, who... Uh, would you call them a proto-punk band? What would you call the modern No, I don't ball? like putting... La- no. no you can't he was just money. a bloke who
0: wrote quirky songs. They were all underproduced and they were very minimal sincere, backing. They were sincere but songs. But they were songs about everyday things that maybe Courtney Barnett's writing a- a- quite right. as we speak. Yeah. She writes songs about how it's too expensive to buy coffee. Yeah. And, and, and Without without
2: any sense of irony either. It's not just, at all. And that's what he about. was
0: doing like 40-odd years ago, Jonathan. That's what appealed to him so much to me because these are real songs about real situations. This half is,
2: sung, half spoken. Half spoken. This is uh, this is the, the 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 classic solo from the classic song Pablo Picasso, which was recorded in seventy two, but not released till seventy six.
0: And was he or wasn't he
2: Pablo Picasso? <laughs> he wasn't. No, no, not like not like Pablo Picasso.
1: Well, he was only five foot three, but girls could not resist the stare. Pablo Picasso. Never got called an asshole. Not in New York.
2: So don't forget, Bill, Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Not in New York. Not in New York. Um, that was, as I said, it was recorded in 72, but wasn't actually released on an album until 76. Uh, the album was called The Modern Lovers. And guess who was playing piano? You have to tell me who. It John Cale. Is that right? John Cale, who actually produced that album. From the
0: Velvet Underground?
2: Yeah. Wow. He produced that album. And uh, on bass was Jerry Harrison who had a wonderful career, very successful career with Talking Heads. Talking heads yeah. And
0: also in his own band, um, The Casual Gods. Yep. And it's interesting, um, I, I remember Jerry Harrison and how much I enjoyed his band, because they toured Australia they the Casual did. Gods. Well,
2: so did, and, and, and of course... Um, Jonathan Richmond, we, we saw him together. We saw him together. He, he played yeah. acoustic, he just he and a drummer. It's wonderful. Fun, it wonderful. And he still guy. performs He still performs about 300 times a year. He's a, he's a, he just travels and performs. He just loves it.
0: Well, it'd be pretty small overhead for him, I guess, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, He'd I have know.
2: A, a huge crew and 10 uh, semi-trails to take his equipment. With and them. I can't imagine a worse cover version of that song than the Dave, David Bowie did a cover version of, of Pablo Picasso. We're not going to play it. It's dreadful. It's the worst cover version I reckon I've ever heard of any cover version. But speaking of David Bowie, I do, I, I do think that he was quite, uh, he was quite a part of my life when I was growing up. Certainly, those early albums in the early '70s were were, were big for me. Um, but if we're going to play some solos, I don't think we can go past the, the piano solo. In fact, we haven't had any. Have we had any piano solos? We've just been playing guitar and we trumpet. Haven't. So why don't we do the uh, the the the, um, the solo that comes from Aladdin Sane, which was from the self-titled album in 1973? Uh, this is Mike Garson on uh, on piano on the David Bowie song Aladdin Sane. Was the great Mike Garson on piano for for um, David Bowie, and David Bowie just wanted him to play a solo? So Mike Garson, who's quite famous, he's performed with Nine Inch Nails, Billy Corgan, Free Flight. He was with the Smashing Pumpkins as well. He has, yeah. Uh, So he played a blues kind of solo, and David Bowie said no. He played a Latin one, no. He said just play avant garde, just play. Give me that avant garde, (laughs) and he did. That's fantastic. It's a great solo. One of my favourite Australian bands, the recent Australian bands, is called the Eddie Current Suppression Ring.
0: I've never heard of that band.
2: It's a Melbourne band. Um, I'd love to hear them. This is from a, a, an album called Primary Colours, which uh, got an ARIA nomination for best rock album in the same year. Have, Bill, this entire album was recorded on the night of August the third, two thousand and seven, for one thousand <laughs> five hundred bucks, and this is a song called Memory Lane. I'm Still around. They they, they, they they were formed in about 2003, Bill, and uh, by by a couple of brothers, uh, Mikey Young and Danny Young, who go by the name of D- Eddie Current and Danny Current. And um, they're still around they, they, Actually they played this year at Golden Plains at Dark, And Dark Mofo down in Hobart They're described as the world's best garage band play standard garage Well they, they sound, as you said they, they like, the Stooges. like the Stooges To me yeah. they're like the Trogs it Remind me a little bit of Radio Birdman as well Well I thought television too Television, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, get along and see them and I will they're, they're, they're very enigmatic, they hardly ever play They're Melbourne <laughs> boys, really interesting um, Speaking of enigmas Tizzy Gillespie, no enigma there. He Not the cricketer.
0: This, this is the jazz <laughs> musician, isn't
2: it? The jazz musician. How, how exuberant was he? I, I, one of the highlights of my life, I saw him at the concert hall. He played in the, I think in the 90s he came out. He did. Uh, Lionel Hampton came out and was his yep. vibraphonist. Uh, for, I think they were called the International Nine or something like that. They played Cuban music. And, um, One of the pioneers of the bebop movement. Absolutely, but my favourite music of his was his Latin music. Uh, this is a song called "Masquerade," which was, of course, written by George Ben in um, in Brazil uh, back in oh, back in the, in the sixties. And it was the sixty
0: six, I think, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> well, it was the signature tune for Sergio Mendes in Brazil sixty six. Uh, this was from an album called "Swing Low, Sweet Cadillac," nineteen sixty seven. And that was James Moody on sax. So there, uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think Dizzy ever played sax, but how good was that? That was just great. was just great. Um, one of my favourite guitarists is a guy called David Gilmour. Played with Pink Floyd for many years, Bill. He did. He replaced he did. Sid Barrett. In, he did. He's great friend. In, in fact, in he Pink did a lot Floyd. of the singing, didn't he? Early on, he did a lot of the vocals for Pink Floyd. I don't no,
0: know. Roger Waters did, did, did a lot. Yeah, D- yeah. Dave, David also sang, it but Roger sang, Waters did not Waters as much.
2: Didn't. No, this is this is uh, one of his. I think it's his first solo album called David Gilmore in nineteen seventy eight. What what I love about this track is it's it's it fits in right between Animals in seventy seven and The Wall in seventy nine, and you can actually see that the, the little bridge there. If you listen to this solo. You can actually see it's very animal-esque, and it's a pre- it's a precursor to the wall. In, a, in, a, in fact, I think there, there was there was a he, he recorded a piece late in this album session which was never used, it was incorporated in the comfortably oh, numb yeah, in the wall. And when you listen to this song called Mahal- Mahalis, I think you, you can you can actually get the connection. Yeah. tone, has he, David Gilmore? Explained. David Gilmore, that was Mahalas. Now I can't think of a more person on the down the other end of the pool <laughs> from David Gilmore than Dave Warner, who was one of the great influences on my life. We saw them many times together, didn't we, Dave Warner from the suburbs? From the suburbs, we've seen him many a time. He's a great man. He's a great writer. He's a very funny man. He really did influence me in my early career. So
0: not unlike Jonathan Richmond, not thematically. Exactly.
2: Loved it, mental as anything. They had a great sense of humour when they wrote, and that was very much about Australia at the time. Now, um, it's a, he wasn't one of the world's great uh, piano players, but he did have that an doesn't organ. doesn't matter. He did have an organ, and, and uh, I want to play a solo from a, from a great song called Mug's Game. Which was originally recorded in nineteen seventy-eight. This is from an album called Suburbs in the Seventies, which was put together in ninety-nine. So it was it was live recordings from pubs that they were playing in in Fremantle in the uh, in the late uh, in the late 70s. Uh, this is Dave from Muggs Game. Oh, don't fear a Tisco will sing
1: out your tail of love.
2: Its who's now a novelist? He, he's written some great crime novels called uh, City of Light uh, and Big Bad Blood. And he's also a writer. He, he writes uh, Pack to the Rafters. He writes for television That's now. That's great. Good on him. He's a tremendous guy. Um, Bill, here's, here's another guy we've seen a few times at pubs in Melbourne a guy called Charlie Musselwhite. Now, I can't think of a person who's had a better debut album than this. Stand Back. It's the Charlie Musselwhite Band. He's one of the great, great lose albums. It is. It, it, it's
0: an album I, I, I love. Um, yeah. To this day, I've played it, um, it it wouldn't go six months without me playing the album in my car from start to finish. It's had so a great big... band. Barry Goldberg yeah. playing keyboards. Harvey Mandel playing um,
2: Who played guitar. for Canned Heat, The Rolling Stones yeah, and John Mayle. Yeah. yeah, he did. And um, Charlie Musselwhite who records to this day. Well, And, and just for people who don't know, he, he's recorded with uh, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Tom Waits, Ben Harper. In Excess, he played with In Excess as well. And he's probably admired equally as Paul
0: Butterfield was because they were whiteys that went to Chicago yeah. and they mixed with all the black with, with the legit blues players there. Yeah, yeah. But the black players loved them and they the, they got them to jam with them. Mm-hmm. So he was there with Howling Wolf and Buddy yep, Guy yep. and. And Junior Wells and all the others. And that, they embraced people like Charlie and Paul Butterfield because
2: they had the right feel for mm-hmm. the music. Well, when he was in Melbourne, I think he played with the Rolling Stones. He oh, did. no, no, didn't Mick Jagger come to the Corner Hotel to play with him? He had to move to... Charlie out, didn't know So Mick <laughs> came in, something like that. So Charlie, play, he's, a, he's a vocalist and he also plays harmonica. This is a great uh, a solo a featuring... Well, it's got harmonica with um, Charlie Musselwhite, Harvey Mandel on guitar and, as you said, Barry Goldberg on the organ. Who now plays in a band called Ride with Stephen Stills you <laughs>
0: hear that over and over again, couldn't you, Bill? Yeah, it's one of my favourite albums of all time, yeah. uh, Stand Back, for 1967, the Charlie Muscle White Band. Time ago, I reckon. Ah, oh, look, it's been such a delight to, t- to have you in. We've heard music over a long period of time like for many, that, that many years, it and it's the first time we've done anything like this together.
2: It's like that was a really big smorgasbord. So have you got something to go out with? I hope we don't have to get indigestion. Uh, I reckon the piece to go out with is a piece called Peace Peace, which um, is a famous song by Bill Evans. From an album in 1958 called Everybody Digs Bill Evans, one now, of the f-
0: musical giants, wasn't he? He Bill is. Evans. Now
2: 58 was a, was was an interesting year for him because that's when he joined the Miles Davis sextet. He played on uh, he was he was on Kind of Blue, the, yes, the seminal album in '59. Yeah, uh, but he was still able to do his own material. Now he's. I find him a truly amazing piece. He died quite young. He died, I think he was in his 50s. his 50s. Early 50s. 50s. And he was, as you can see from this, as you can tell from this piece, he's classically trained. This was described as a pastoral improvisation, which I reckon is a great description of it. It's called Peace, Peace. And this was recorded at the very end of the session uh, when he did record Everybody Digs bill evans and it's just such a wonderful wonderful atmospheric piece we'll go out with this song and
0: yeah. as i say each week to our wonderful listeners who join us for the music show take care of each other and love the music